Welcome to Around Kansas. I'm Deb Goodrich. And I'm Michelle Martin. And I sure missed y'all last time, but I know that Michelle carried on perfectly well without me and that you all had a great time. <laughs> and speaking of great times, I have really been busy. I think Michelle told you we were uh, filming, working on um, an historic film with Ken Spurgeon and crew and we will tell you more about that in the days to come. But this uh, couple of weekends ago down at Council Grove for the gunfight on the Santa Fe Trail and gunfights on the Santa Fe Trail may or may not be accurate, but it was a fun, fun weekend. People worked very, very hard. Um, I will tell you that uh, maybe a little historical inaccuracy, but Bloody Bill Anderson was involved in robbing the bank. Um, Wyatt Earp and Doc, um, or let me see, Wyatt Earp and Bat Masterson, among others, put a stop to that. So, yeah, not a lot of historical accuracy going on, but it was an awful lot of fun. But, you know, I'm sure Bloody Bill would have loved to have gotten credit for robbing a bank in Council Grove for certain. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure he would have. And had he had the opportunity, perhaps he would have done that. But sadly, his life was cut short, you know, and uh, maybe after the war that he would have uh, been there with Frank and Jesse robbing banks all up and down the way. So who knows? So, Michelle, what's that photograph behind you? You know, Deb, in honor of the fact you uh, are going to be talking about Council Grove and the gunfight on the Santa Fe Trail event, I thought I'd bring our viewers a little different uh, perspective on uh, Council Grove. It's not just a place where rivers and the trail met, but it was uh, the reserved lands of the Kaw people or the Kanza. And this is actually from Elagawaho Park. Uh, that is part that is owned by the Kaw Nation. And this is actually where the Kaw people come from all over, whether it be Kansas or Oklahoma, where their headquarters are, every year to have kind of their homecoming dance. Uh, this is where they dance every summer. And the um, event, uh, the Voices of the Wind People, of course, has been one of the most popular events in Council Grove for a long time and is a truly spectacular pageant and they're just doing so many spectacular things this year in honor of the 200th anniversary of the Santa Fe Trail and I've uh, been there for a couple of those and there's more coming up. Mm -hmm. I've got to mention real quickly the photo behind me. Uh, Nikki Connard uh, took this, Nikki Pauline Connard took this and she's a very talented photographer and these are a couple of the uh, honor guard from Fort Riley. So those guys did a wonderful job as usual. And I am blocking Buck Taylor, um, but maybe we can share another picture. But Buck was <laughs> honorary, um, or the honorary guest of honor. He was the guest of honor at this event. And mm -hmm. of course, uh, Buck, who uh, was endeared to many Kansans as Newly O'Brien on Gunsmoke, and he was wearing a badge while he was in Council Grove. So he was uh, um, enforcing the law while he was there. So duly deputized. Duly deputized. And of course, now um, Buck is, um, has a recurring role in Yellowstone. 
So he's got this legion of fans, you know, from the folks like myself that grew up watching him, you know, as a kid on Gunsmoke to the kids that are growing up watching Rellowstone now. So mm-hmm. uh, it's just a phenomenal career. And he's a dear, dear man. And he was part of our filming in Wichita the week prior to that and known Buck for several years. And it's just a, a treasure, an absolute treasure. And of course, don't forget, then you have those fans who uh, met him in Tombstone as Turkey Creek Jack Johnson. Absolutely. And uh, so you've got a whole nother group of folks who uh, know Buck and his work. And it, it just, it looks, it looks like you all had a fantastic time. It looks like uh, Buck had a good time meeting people. Um, I did see uh, that Buck met our, our good mutual friend, Kendall Gott. And uh, it, looks like, it looks like they uh, hit it off pretty well. They did. Yeah, um, it, it's really fun introducing a lot of friends um, to Buck. And, you know, they're, they're as big a fan as I am. And so that was a lot of fun. And, and Kendall was quite the sharply dressed man for this event. He, he looked like the mayor. <laughs> it was, uh, but though he was wearing a badge that said brothel inspector. So... Uh, yeah, he, he fit right in the event. It was it was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. It doesn't it doesn't surprise me that he wore a brothel inspector badge. I mean, uh, actually, um, Kendall and I go back to um, as he likes to say, the time I made him famous. He was a talking head for investigating history. Uh, our episode on the lost battle of the Civil War, Mine Creek, and uh, he's actually portrayed. Um, my he portrayed my husband at Mine Creek, um, and so we uh, were a husband and wife who uh, were separated by the Battle of Mine Creek, and so it was really cute. Uh, one time after the tour group left, and it was a moonlight tour, he says, "Come on, Babs, can't you have a little mascara and lipstick on when I come home? I've been out fighting this sesh. Can't you look nice when I come home?" So, yeah, it didn't surprise me he picked the brothel inspector badge. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Everybody had a great time. And the folks in Council Grove have worked so hard this year on their events. And I've got to tell you about the next big one coming up if you missed this one. And heck, even if you didn't miss it, you don't want to miss the next one. And that is military on the Santa Fe Trail. And that will be, looking at my notes to make sure, August 27th through the 29th. And they're going to have the Mormon battalion there. They're going to have the Buffalo soldiers. And I think it's the eighth Kansas that they'll have. And there'll mm-hmm. be a lot of military um, wagons. Uh, there will be, um, I know, uh, a, a keynote talk by our friend Leo Oliva. And nobody knows more about the Santa Fe Trail military story. Not anybody alive anyway. Um, nobody knows more than Leo does. So, and he may know more than than Carney did when he marched down to Mexico. <laughs> but um, that's going to be a great weekend, full of some very, very interesting history. You know, Council Grove has such so many layers of stories, and um, of course, with the Kaw Nation, the Osage Treaty was made there on the Santa Fe Trail, um, and uh, the, the Cheyenne attacking the Kaw in 1868. Mm-hmm. There's just so, so many stories there and, and still making history. So it's a, 
it's a lovely town. Stay in the cottage house every time I'm there. And I love yes. it, love it, love it, love it. And, you know, eat at the Hayes house and eat at the Trails Cafe and eat at the, the saloon, the wonderful new saloon and, and the, uh, the Mexican restaurant and the Watts Coffee. Oh, and Michelle, there's a new bookstore. Oh my goodness, it's one in the old corner bank building. Mm -hmm. And um, it, uh, Jennifer, uh, who uh, is um, married to uh, Bill Cassabom, uh Nancy Cassabom's son, um, Jennifer is the proprietor and it is a lovely bookstore. And I can't wait to go back. It's really beautiful. She's got a great selection of books. And I'm like, what a terrific addition to the community there in Council Grove. You'll love it when you, you see it. You're just going to love it. That's fantastic. I, I really do. I, I love Council Grove. Um, you're right. It has so many different layers of history. It has so many different stories. Um, and they're all uh, they're all tragic. They're, they're tragic. They're poignant. They're inspiring in many different levels. And so I, I, I love the fact that you have the coming together of, you have the trail coming together with the water, with the river, with mm -hmm. people and how those transportation modes bring people together. And then what happens when people come together? And then, you know, as we see with, um, as we see with the caw, it is not always a positive outcome. Um, right. Eventually, as we know, um, you know, in the 1870s, the caw are uh, forced to move again and relocate this time into um, Oklahoma. And so, you know, the stories are not always positive, but we need to understand those stories. We need to understand why these different events happen. Uh, and, and the historical impact and the legacy that they leave. So, and that is one of the great things um, with events like this is um, the fact that our communities along the Santa Fe Trail are bringing out those stories and sharing that impact and the legacy of history. Well, our friend Mark Brooks, who is the director, site director at the uh, Commission of State Historic Site, you know, they've been closed for renovations for a long time now and COVID and many other things delayed their reopening and we're anxiously awaiting that as is he. Um, it's a, But that's going to be phenomenal when all that reopens. And of course, Mark is a living historian portraying Seth Hayes, who was the first white settler in Council Grove and uh, does a wonderful job with that story. Seth being the great grandson of Daniel Boone and we, we were talking at lunch the other day about how Mark ought to, uh, you know, I'm good to tell people what they ought to do. He ought to create a talk, you know, and, and go everywhere talking about Daniel Boone's influence on the West because it's huge. You know, mm -hmm. it's far more than his life. It, it's, it reaches so far beyond that. And so that's what I'm encouraging Mark to add to his list right now. You know, Deb, you mentioned Fort Wallace, uh, and they have some, they have an event coming up in September that is also very important. Uh, why don't you share with us what's going on at uh, Fort Wallace? Oh my goodness. I, I can't claim credit for a lot because I've been on the road so much. It doesn't mean I don't, uh, you know, I'm not on the phone or on email and um, still involved, but um, I, there's a lot of people working very, very hard. So 
we have um, our spring event, um, a symposium in the spring, and then we have our fall event, which is more of an encampment. Um, this year it will have a symposium element to it because we had some speakers that had to miss in the spring. And so we're uh, combining it. So our theme this year has been taking the Smoky Hill Trail to Santa Fe. So in honor of the 200th anniversary of the Santa Fe Trail, we're highlighting the connections between those two trails and it is extensive. The Smoky becomes a de facto piece of the Santa Fe Trail as the railroad moves westward along the Smoky Hill River and um, jumping off points like Sheridan, uh, which is the uh, depot for Fort Wallace for many years or a couple of years, something like that, um, become very important pieces of the Santa Fe Trail traffic. So that's what we're highlighting. So our encampment mm -hmm. will reflect that. And we have um, 1,200 students coming this year. We had 900 last year. So Friday is our student day. And we've had, and of course, they don't all come at once. They come with their classes. We keep their classes together. And we have stations. You know, we rotate them um, uh, mm -hmm. among our presenters. And uh, it's a long day, I'm telling you what. But the response was just tremendous last year, and it's going to be even bigger this year. So now uh, student time is going to be all day on Friday and also Saturday morning. And then we've got some great speakers. Uh, Marla is going to do her Women on the Santa Fe Trail. Um, Frank Norris, um, who developed maps for the uh, National Park Service showing the evolution of the trail, is going to be with us. I plagiarized his talk in uh, March myself. And then um, uh, Mike Olson is going to be with us talking about the Oteros. Um, it's just going to be fantastic. And then DK, um, our DK Clark lecturer, founder, honored person, um, is also going to be speaking. So we're just going to have some great times. Then we'll have dinners and, you know, chuck wagons and all that cool stuff. And, and maybe on Thursday night, um, we don't have the final word on this, but should know very soon, uh, we may have a Michael Martin Murphy concert. We, we are um, this close to getting everything done. Murph's schedule with Santa Fe Trail, he's our honorary chair for the Santa Fe Trail, mm -hmm. is pretty insane too. So we're working on that. So, you know, folks, if you, nutshell. I say that is, that's huge. And uh, for folks who uh, have not attended the events at Fort Wallace, you would be amazed. Um, the, the amount of work that goes into putting together um, a one, even a one day symposium, but to have an all day education event for children, um, having done those through the National Park Service at Fort Scott National Historic Site, having done some things like that at Wilson's Creek, um, having done those when I was director at Little House in the Prairie Museum. Education events for children, for students, are absolutely backbreaking work, and yeah. they run you ragged. And then to have to get up the next day and do it for part of the day, and then have the adult audiences, the adult participants coming in. Uh, folks, if you wanna actually see true, if you wanna see dedication, if you wanna see real dedication to preserving and sharing the history in a way that connects with people, make sure you go to, not only are the, the events that are gonna come up in Council Grove in August, but 
make sure to put Fort Wallace on your calendar for September. Um, having been a symposium speaker at Fort Wallace, I can tell you it is just amazing with the handful of people that they have uh, doing all of the work there. It is incredible. I've, I've been to events that have staffs of 40, 50, 60 people putting on events and they've not come off as beautifully and well-organized and as they do at Fort Wallace. So it's really a testament to everybody, to everybody, to Jane, to, to Jane and to all the volunteers, the guardians, all everyone who helps, everybody who pitches in, it's a testament to all of them. So do yourself a favor, folks, put those dates, put Council Grove in August on your calendar and definitely put Fort Wallace in September. You will want to be there. You won't want to miss it. Our team is phenomenal. And one other um, August event on August 9th, we have Jerry Robinson, who is Reuben Waller's great-great-grandson coming from New York. He is a retired a professional living in New York, and he's coming and we're hosting a luncheon and we're going to have a presentation by him. So I'm very excited about that too. And um, Reuben, you know, is our newest lifelike mm -hmm. sculptor. And what an incredible story. Reuben was a Buffalo soldier part of the rescue at uh, Beecher Island and so Beecher we're, Island. Mm -hmm. we're really looking forward to having having his family with us so cool stuff all the time and here I am in Arizona I know we well, missed you well I'll tell you what it, you know when this when my dissertation or as we referred to it the damned dissertation when the dissertation which folks if you've never heard of dissertation writing I will just say it's the equivalent of writing a book and then it has to pass a review committee um, of four people. And then you get asked a lot of grilled, uh, a lot of questions by the public uh, to be able to say that you are a doctor. And uh, once, this, once this is done, I'm looking forward to being able to uh, travel more and be back in Kansas and Oklahoma more often to be involved in museum work and living history work and historic preservation in different ways. So. But folks, do yourself a favor. Put these events on your calendar. You do not want to miss them. That's fact. We'll be right back. Welcome to the Western Kansas Wildlife Travel Center right here in my hometown of Oakley, Kansas. We're the front door of Western Kansas, located on three main highways, I-70, US-83, and US-40. And all those roads lead to history, beautiful scenery, and adventure, no matter which direction you go. We now have an IHOP brand that you've trusted up and down the road in all your travels is staffed with local folks, real people, just like you and me, and we're waiting on you to join us. So for fun, adventure, fuel up, fuel your body, and let's have some fun. Howdy. I'm Seth Hayes and welcome to my hometown from then to now. Council Grove has a rich history as deep as the prairie tall grass. Spend the day visiting 25 historic sites or explore the unique shops and restaurants. Mosey out of town along the Santa Fe Trail. 
You all visit my hometown, Council Grove, in the heart of the Flint Hills. Welcome back. And where would Daniel Boone and Davy Crockett be without the raccoon? So we got to thinking about that um, recently because Darby Hinton was part of our film schedule and he played little Israel Boone and he had a coonskin cap. Heck, growing up, every kid I knew had a coonskin cap because of this TV show. So I never got to meet Fess Parker. I did interview Vicki Lawrence one time and Vicki used to have a TV talk show. I don't know if you remember, but she had Fess Parker on her TV talk show. She could hardly talk. She was so excited. And when I interviewed her, I said, you have no idea how jealous I am that you got to interview Fess Parker. And Darby said he was the loveliest man ever, but he sure popularized popularized the coonskin cap in America. Well, in my house, Deb, we wouldn't allow the coonskin cap because here, actually everyone, this is a photograph of my very beautiful, late, my, late, my late mother, Susan. And you see her holding a raccoon. And when I was growing up in Michigan, my mother had gone through special classes and training and had a license as a wild animal rehabilitator. And when I was growing up as a child, it was not uncommon for our home to be shared with raccoons, squirrels, skunks, other kinds of bunnies, but in particular raccoons were our favorite. And here you can see she is loving on one of them. Um, so I grew up bottle feeding, these are our babies that we got were abandoned. Their mothers had been injured or hit by cars or something had happened and they were little orphans. And so we had uh, raccoon feeding, we had bottles, we had formula. They were bottle fed until they were big enough to start eating other foods. And so I grew up with, you know, feedings every three to four hours. And when they were fed, you then did have to burp them just like babies. And then, you know, some of them that we really extra loved, they got their tummies rubbed before they went to sleep. Wow, we really do have the opposite ends of the spectrum, <laughs> don't we? Yeah, the, from the coon skin cap to the uh, beloved member of the family. But, you know, raccoons are, even though they are very common, they are still one of the most fascinating creatures. And of course, uh, I can't think about raccoons without saying, thinking of the song Rocky Raccoon. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and you've got the, that little bandit face, you know, he has that little black mask. And so you've got that little bandit face that he has. And uh, they are, uh, yeah, nocturnal. So you do see them trying to cross the road at night uh, quite mm -hmm. often. Catch them in the trash cans quite often. Um, <laughs> They can be, you know, out in the country, uh, well, heck, just wherever they are, uh, they can be uh, kind of hazardous to household pets. Um, I know that firsthand, um, but they are just fascinating little creatures. And when I was looking at this the other day, did you know, and since you've got so much experience with them, you might, those little guys can get up to 49 pounds. 
Now I've seen some fat ones. I'm not sure I've ever seen a 49 pound raccoon, but that would be a force to be reckoned with, a 49 pound raccoon. Yes. Like I can tell you, um, our first two raccoons that we ever raised for re-release into the wild, we named them Rocky and mm -hmm. Fidget. And when we released Rocky and Fidget into the wild, my parents went to what my mother called the Cooney Woods. And she said, I'm gonna let the, we're gonna let the Coonies go in the woods here. And so they released Rocky and Fidget and Fidget took off and went right up a tree. Rocky kind of ambled around. By the time my parents got back to the car, Rocky was sitting back at the car panting, looking like, when are you gonna let me in the car? I'm ready to go home. And Rocky came home for, for quite a while uh, before he finally, one time when they tried to re-release him, he finally went. Um, you know, our raccoons, if they got to be 49 pounds, it was because, you know, they like eating berries and yeah. peanut butter and marshmallows. And Rocky really liked Pepsi. Um, Rocky was, it was not uncommon. Rocky would stick his nose in a glass bottle of Pepsi and you'd tip it up and he'd drink the Pepsi right out of the bottle. So raccoons do have a bit of a sweet tooth. So, um, if Rocky, if, you know, if ours got to be 49 pounds, it'd be because they had a sweet tooth. But, um, I will say what I, what I love about them, in addition to those cute little faces and those little bandit masks, their little hands, their paw, their, their little paws. They're so much like our own hands, the way they're articulated, but the way they use them, they're so smart. Um, when our raccoons would go from being in the house, they'd be in the house when they were little. When they get big enough, my dad built an outdoor habitat that we put them in, and I'll be darned, we, we put a group in the habitat. And all of a sudden, my mother looked out the kitchen window, and they were running around the backyard, and she went, we all ran outside and we were like, come on guys, girls, let's go. They had figured out how to manipulate and get the lock open. Yeah. So they're very smart, very clever. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, you know, which, the makes, other... which makes coon hunting all the sadder, you know? <laughs> exactly. Um, but you know, it's funny uh, for me, like I say, a lot of my memories are more of, you know, like I say, raising them and feeding them and caring for them. And then, you know, it was always horrible. I could never go when it was released into the wild day. I could never do it. I just, I, I sat at home and cried because I missed them. Um, I, I remember the first time we had a large bunch, we had like 13 and uh, it was storming outside one night and I went out and opened up the habitat and brought them all in and I opened my bedroom window and I was tossing them in my bedroom window so they could come inside. I was afraid the storm would hurt them. And, you know, then, you know, you wake up in the morning and you've got 13 raccoons in bed with you. And um, they were just like a, a cat. It was, they were like a cat with a mask. And so, yeah. My Aunt Emily I, did keep a pet raccoon for, for a while when I was growing up. And so, yeah, we weren't all bloodthirsty uh, <laughs> others. Um, but uh, yeah, I have to say most of the stories I have growing up, um, um, there were still a lot of guys, uh, a lot of the men in the neighborhood coon hunting when I grew mm -hmm. up in the hills, you know, the coon dogs, where the name coon yes. dogs from, you know, they're hunting coons. And um, my grandpa loved to sit out on the porch at night after he'd gotten past his coon hunting days and, and hear the dogs 
now in the distance running coons which yeah next to your warm fuzzy stories <laughs> that really sounds awful but god bless it there was there were a lot of coons to go around there were a lot of coons that never got caught never uh that's right never hunted down so but you know my my husband actually um my husband who is um american indian he's from oklahoma he uh, actually talks about his father, you know, going, going, going raccoon hunting with his dad, squirrel hunting, rabbit hunting. But he talks about, you know, he has stories about going raccoon hunting with his dad and with other family members. And so, um, you know, it was a way, it was, an, it was, you know, a pastime, it was an activity for them. Um, so, you know, it's just, in certain parts of the country, it's just part of life. And, um, so it was always hard. It was food. I mean, you know, the folks I knew, yes. that was mm -hmm. food. It wasn't just uh, sport. Yeah. You know, they were mm -hmm. food. And and certainly, you know, like when grandpa was doing it growing up, that's certainly what they were doing. That was, that was food too. So. And also, you know, at various, yeah, at various times in our history too, depending on what the fashion was, actually their furs were used for different kinds of uh, fashion accessories and things as well, whether it be the hats, um, mm -hmm. hand muffs of different kinds. You know, so their, their furs were used as well. So uh, yeah, so the hunting process was not just, um, you know, just to get rid of what some people think of as a predator of some kind or a nuisance animal, um, but it was for food and it was for furs. And so, but yeah, but my, my house, I, we were definitely a no raccoon hunting house, uh, that's for sure. And like I say, all of, all of our memories growing up with them are warm, fuzzy and, uh, but they are very intelligent and they're intelligent animals. They're very quick witted and they are just so much fun to watch. And uh, so, you know, I, I really, love raccoons. I was uh, camping in uh, the campground in Indiana uh, several years ago, and there were a lot of caves, and it was just, oh my gosh, it was an incredible campground. And so sitting out by the fire one night eating popcorn, and this raccoon shows up and came pretty close. It was pretty, uh, pretty used to being around people, obviously, mm -hmm. and shouldn't have, but, you know, threw it some popcorn. I swear to you, the next night, this coon is knocking on the door. So we go out and we make popcorn and his friends start showing up. And we have five coons because little Rocky has gone back and gotten, you know, his family. And it was so funny to watch their personalities because mm -hmm. there's one we started calling Fred because they'd come every night. We were there for a couple of weeks and Fred would never get close. He stayed in the woods you know, and we'd have to toss popcorn way out to him. He wouldn't come close. But the others, you could see the difference, you know, what they look like. You learn to identify them pretty quickly. And, but their personalities were so, so different. And, and it was just funny. They really are fun to watch. They really are. You know, when, when my mother stopped uh, taking in and raising the abandoned wildlife, um, when my parents built their dream house, it sets back off the road and there's a lot of woods around and our deck became raccoon, became the raccoon cafe. And my mom would take a uh, great big pan and she would put dog food and crack eggs on top of it and set it out. 
because the moms would bring their babies. And so we would be watching moms and babies. And if you want to see the fur fly, have two or three moms on a deck with their babies, all trying to get food, look out because man, those mamas will go at each other. It's, you know, they'll hunker down and they'll like stake out their territory for their young ones to eat and boy, oh boy, oh boy. And so, and they also love to get into the bird feeder. If you've got bird feeders, I don't care how, if you think you've squirrel or raccoon proofed it, forget it. No. You may beat the squirrels, but you will never beat the raccoons. And it was not uncommon to hear a lot of racket on our deck and you'd flip the deck light on and you'd see out of the top of the bird feeder, raccoon hind end and tail up in the air. You'd see raccoon hiney in the, in, in the air with the tail and you could hear them going to town eating out of the bird feeder and turning on the light wouldn't stop them. They have no shame. You know, they yeah. have absolutely no shame. It's like, if they're, if you are leaving anything that's a free meal, hey, you've asked for it. You've, you've invited them in. So uh, we just embrace them and let them come as they wish and eat as they want to and go along their merry way. Before, before we uh, get off the subject of raccoons, Sharon McCrum, and her name is spelled S-H-R-Y-N, um, is a best-selling author from back home. And if you follow her on Facebook, she has these coons and possum that come up on her deck and she has named them and started writing about them. And like she said the other day, she's accidentally written, she has accidentally written a book, you know, the saga of these animals as, as they, their personalities manifest themselves and it's just hysterical. So you got to follow Sharon on Facebook and follow this story because it really is, it's very entertaining. Well, we'll, well be right folks, we've got so much more to talk about other than coons. Okay, looks like it's time for our tour. Welcome to the Fort Wallace Museum. Here at the museum, you're going to find some really interesting stuff like our replica stagecoach from the Butterfield Overland Dispatch. We've got facades from the fort buildings, and we've got an 1870s flag. There's a plesiosaur that was discovered locally. We've got the Ray pump organ collection. We're a little bee place with a great big story and we'd love to have you. In 1821, a trade route was opened from Missouri in the United States across prairies and mountains to Mexico. In 2021, we will mark 200 years of epic conflicts and grand adventures, larger than life personalities, sweeping landscapes. Join us on an historic journey. The Santa Fe Trail lives on. Find us on social media or santafetrail.org. Welcome back to Around Kansas. I'm Michelle Martin. And I'm Deb Goodrich. So Michelle, and what is that assortment of mugs behind you. Well, anyone who knows their Kansas, um, Kansas handmade products probably is familiar with the exquisite work of Steve and Jane Fry of Elk Falls Pottery in Elk Falls, Kansas. Mm -hmm. And these are the official mugs for the festival at Winfield. And Steve and Jane have been making those for many years. 
they just posted this on Facebook this week. Uh, as a matter of fact, it said, if there are this many mugs, it must be Winfield. That's right. And behind me are some of my friends, and I'm not going to name them because there's so many. I don't want to leave anybody out, but uh, I do see Stuart Yoho sitting there with a the banjo and uh, just so many friends that that camp at Winfield every year. And the Winfield to the Walnut Valley Festival at Winfield is coming up September 15th through September 19th. You can find out more at wvfest.com and that stands for Walnut Valley Festival. And I have to admit that I was something of a snob back in um, the hills of Virginia, North Carolina when I was growing up. And uh, then um, as a young person, my sister and I published a tabloid called A Coming and A Going, and it was all about the comings and a goings in the mountains. So it was music and art and uh, culture and just fun things. And people would send us their schedules for events, and we would get the schedule from, from Walnut Valley in Kansas. And I'm like, what do people in Kansas know about bluegrass? Oh my God. So then I come out here and I <laughs> Valley and it is phenomenal and you've got you know big names on stage and you've got I don't know five stages at least you've got the main stage and then these other stages there is nothing second rate about any of them you have works workshops the world champion flat picker is uh, crowned at Winfield but this is the best part what's right behind me is just the endless jam sessions where people come together a lot of times just once a year from all over the country, all over the world, and they get together and it's just uh, like one huge family reunion with a soundtrack. It, I, I can't tell you how, how great it is. And yes, most of those people take a mug home with them. It's just, uh, you know, they've got the collection for ever how many years, I mm -hmm. think. This should have been the 50th, but I believe it's the 40, they're counting it as the 49th um, because it was canceled last year. So it would be the 50th year, but the 49th festival. So still going strong, bigger and bigger and bigger. And you know, it is a premier event in the fall and attraction that brings people into uh, South Central Kansas and you know, fall is an amazing time in Kansas for a lot of different festivals of this nature. I mean, you've got, you know, you know, you've got Walnut Valley, uh, you've got other festivals you know, up at Fort Riley, you have Apple Day, you've got the fall festival that's at Ward Mead Park in Topeka. I mean, Kansas just is bursting at the seams from September through October with amazing events where people can come together and um, express themselves. And, you know, definitely uh, this is one of the biggest. And when I worked at Little House in the Prairie Museum, we would always brace for the weekend of that festival because a lot of people who would from Southeast Kansas or Northwest Arkansas, Southwest Missouri, parts of Northeast Oklahoma would drive in and go for a day at the festival. And we would, during the festival, we would see a huge increase in visitors stopping at the museum. And it, what was amazing to me, uh, we also at, at the museum, we had uh, Steve and Jane make our Little House in the Prairie Museum mugs. 
And it was interesting because some folks were in one time and it was the festival going on and I it's an alcohol's mug. And I said, why, yes, it is. I said, oh, and they got out their phone and showed us a picture of a shelf in their home. And they had one of all <laughs> of the, the Walnut Valley mugs. And they said, oh yeah, we're definitely going to get another one. I said, but we're going to add this little house in the prairie to our collection too. And uh, they had one, one, of, one of each. So uh, it is definitely uh, a time for people who come together and it's fellowship and friendship and fun, but also sharing that passion for bluegrass. And what I loved about going to it is you see all ages and all walks of life there. Yes, every everybody, everything. Every, it's just a, a, such a smorgasbord of people and musical taste. And you see people from different parts of the country with different traditions blending all those. And and some people singing the same songs, but you know with a different twist. And it's it's wonderful. Mm -hmm. I um I interviewed one year. Um, uh, Dan Crary, who is one of the top guitar players in the world, who is from Kansas City, um, Kansas, and uh, an amazing, amazing man, brilliant man, a college professor, um, and just, I, I think, I might have spent two or three hours with, with Dan down there one time, mm -hmm. and that was just amazing, and then one time, um, I ran into Spencer Strickland, and i I'm trying to remember who he was playing with. What he's a mandolin picker and a luthier. He makes instruments. And what's funny is there you are in Kansas, and there's a little Spencer Strickland who grew up. Uh, he lives like a rock's throw from my sister back in on the North Carolina Virginia line. You know, and you walk up to Spencer. Well, how's everybody back home? You know, and that's it's just a and there are people from just everywhere and and if they're not family and they're not friends before you get there they will be before the weekend's done it's just it's i i the first time i went i characterized it by saying i was taken into the windfold you know just, <laughs> you just embraced and um mm -hmm. so all my disparaging comments of many years ago i I apologized for because it's uh, it is a premier event and people work so hard again the hard work it takes to put this on oh my gosh yes the logistics are staggering and mm -hmm. a lot of people volunteer uh, and the whole community I mean it's like locusts descend on the community so it, yeah uh, the whole community is just uh, involved in it and it's a uh, yeah, it's amazing. And I don't know if you remember, Michelle, but, you know, Marianne on Gilligan's Island was from Winfield. That was, yes. you remember that? Yeah. And uh, that mm -hmm. was fictitious, you know, Marianne's uh, fictitious hometown was, was Winfield, Kansas. And, and Winfield was pretty proud that they chose their little town for Marianne to be from. So. And, and it is really, um, it's a charming, it's a charming little town. It really is. Um, where that area of South Central Kansas is one that gets overlooked quite a bit. It's just kind of seen as drive through where people are zipping through these little towns on their way to Wichita. Yeah. And I absolutely loved, and you know, folks, it just, it goes back to one, you know, love having such a great love for Kansas and being a historian, but also 
when I spent a lot of time on the road uh, chasing severe weather and doing severe storm photography, you would go through all of these small towns. And sometimes it's that small town that you and maybe 50 other storm chasers are sitting in as you're waiting and seeing where storms are developing, you pick a place to jump off from. And so you get to know these towns. And when you go through Winfield, everything, I mean, everything is, you know, in, in the summer, they're in gear up mode, getting mm -hmm. ready for the festival. Mm -hmm. And, you know, folks, um, the economic impact that an event like this has on a community, on a county is just incalculable. And so, you know, if you're so inclined, if you feel comfortable with it, if you feel safe, um, you know, we have seen uh, this Delta variant of coronavirus on the rise in a lot of places. Um, but if you feel safe and you want to do something to help that economic recovery in our uh, communities in Kansas, support a lot of these late summer and early to mid-fall festivals because that is one of the best things you can do. It's spending that money out in local economies. That is gonna go ahead and help our small towns. It really does, it really does. And and having to cancel things like last year, you know, mm -hmm. is, is uh, it's hard to come back from. So yeah, hopefully yes. um, this year Winfield can be bigger and better than ever and, and of course, you know, it's all outdoors. So that's, that's big plus everything is outdoors. Exactly. Exactly. So, you Great. know, uh, you know, Deb, before, before we wrap up today, um, I would be remiss on this week's show. If I did not, um, if we did not mark the passing of an icon in Kansas music that you shared with our followers on our, in our around Kansas Facebook page, you tell us a little more about that? Well, um, Robbie Steinhardt, who was one of the founding members of the band Kansas. And uh, I know that um, I one of the band members, and I, 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 it may have been all of them. I, I'm pretty sure Richard Williams said it, but it may have been all of them, said that what made Kansas distinctive was Carrie's songwriting and Steve Walsh's vocals and uh, Robbie's violin. Yes. It was transcendent and- uh, Amazing. Such a sweet soul, such a sweet soul. And Robbie had not been in good health for a while. And, you know, it's not been in the band for several years, but of course they all remain close. And uh, yeah, our hearts just break for Robbie. And I had, I'd be remiss also in talking about Winfield if I didn't, um, mentioned the passing of Byron Berline, who uh, was another amazing fiddler, um, mm -hmm. incredibly influential, um, uh, truly internationally influential, and had a music store in Guthrie and, and gave lessons down there and mm -hmm. uh, um, was a just a national treasure. And it's, it's kind of ironic that we would have these two um, virtuosos of the violin and the fiddle who, who passed away so close to one another. Um, just tremendous influences in different spheres, but who um, contributed so mightily to people's yes. entertainment and uh, enjoyment and to the, the furthering of uh, 
kind of raising the bar on what could be done musically. Both of those men did that. So yeah, um, definitely. They made our lives richer. And, sure. and, and our, our, our hearts and our thoughts are definitely with their families, their loved ones, but also the legions of music fans who listened to their work or learned from them, um, you know, because those are irreparable losses, but thank goodness for the technology we have that allows us to continually listen to yeah. it. Mm. Um, you know, it's kind of funny. I was thinking about it before we were, before we sat down to film today, I had to run to do a quick errand and turned on the radio in the car and what was playing on the radio? Dust in the wind. Yeah. And, and it's kind of ironic because I, quintessentially think and identify that with the band Kansas, of course, but with the place. But we're in the midst of monsoon season here in Arizona, which generates massive dust storms. And I thought, how appropriate that on this of all days, I'm hearing that song. I knew we were going to be talking about Winfield and, and obviously music in Kansas, which um, is so important. You know, folks actually should read your book on Kansas music and it puts it in context. But to hear that song, uh, all of these things, it just, it was like the stars aligned, everything was coming together. So, but again, in around Kansas, um, like I said, our hearts and our thoughts and our prayers are with their families, their loved ones, and their legions of fans. Amen. All right, folks, thanks so much for being with us. We'll be with you again next week. In the meantime, we'll see you somewhere around. Around. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.